What up, fam? It's Alan Thomas, your Nubian scribe. If you missed the latest episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. The topic was tribalism and the effect colonism had on Nigeria. My guest spoke of the ills of colonism and how tribalism led to fam being enslaved across the globe. Fam, it's not as simple as you think. That guest is from Nigeria and spoke candidly about how all of that happened and the remorse he felt when he learned of what our ancestors went through when they arrived to their new homes, which, as he said, wasn't taught in his native land. Fam, that was a truly powerful episode. Before I get into this episode, I want to encourage you to follow me on Instagram at Nubian underscore scribe. That way, you won't miss anything that I have to say between episodes. And most importantly, follow me or subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That way, you know when a new episode has dropped. Now, to this episode, school the prison pipeline. Fam, prisons are no place for anyone, especially children, no matter the race of the child. But statistically speaking, since numbers don't lie, our babies, let me say it again, our babies are being exposed to the criminal justice system at earlier ages than non-black children and at a higher rate. Again, numbers, they don't lie. Look them up. They're there. If you doubt what I'm saying, I got a question for you. Why did you believe that our babies are being targeted or singled out? My opinion, and again, my opinion, economics, lack of resources, and if I'm being polite, the third reason is most likely, and it's probably the main reason, social inequity. But if I wasn't being polite, I would just call it straight up racism. What I will be exploring through my guest, what is school to prison pipeline, what policies led to our babies being exposed to the judicial justice system so young, how prevalent is it now statewide in Texas, and what is, or better yet, the solution to keeping our babies out of the judicial justice system. Fam, I am pleased to introduce you to this episode's guest, someone who, as we say in the hood, he's in a mix, and who is in a better position than most of us to answer those questions. Fam, please welcome Chief James Hawthorne. Chief Hawthorne is the Chief of Police of the Cedar Hill, Texas Independent School District. Chief, welcome to the Overcomers. We still here. Well, I'm glad to be here and, uh, and look forward to sharing in this conversation with you. Thank you, and thank you again for agreeing to come on my show. We really appreciate the time that you're taking out of your busy schedule to talk to us. So appreciate it. Fam, like Big Mama be saying right before she start spitting that knowledge on us, turn off your TV, sit down while I tell you the story of how this came to be. Chief Hawthorne, before we get into this, please tell my listeners about your law enforcement background. Sure, sure. I, I started my police career with the Arlington, Texas Police Department 
back in 1985 and uh, served there several years. Uh, was a um, school resource officer, was a detective, was a patrol officer, worked in community affairs, uh, promoted to sergeant, was a, a field supervisor, and went all the way up the ranks in various different positions uh, within the department, uh, retiring uh, from the department in December of uh, 2013. And uh, you know, some of the other duties that I had, I was a hostage negotiator, hostage negotiator supervisor, I think, for about 12 years, and spent about 15 years off and on as a uh, spokesman for the Arlington Police Department. And so I was retired and, 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 and doing good, and then I got talked into taking a job over in Cedar Hill as the school district police chief over there, and I, I joined uh, Cedar Hill ISD. And... Uh, October of 2016, and I've been there ever since. Now, Chief Hawthorne, I don't think they have to do too much convincing. You seem to be about the, about taking care of us and the community. So I'm sure when you had that opportunity proposed to you, you're like, "Yeah, I'm down with the cause. We appreciate oh, your yeah. we appreciate your service." Yes, sir. We need more brothers in those positions of authority, so they can show others that not all brothers are bad because you are a good brother i've been knowing you for a while and fam when i say he's a good brother he's all about fairness equity and social justice and that's why we're here today to discuss one problem that i came across reading an article which talked about our young being incarcerated and we're going to talk about the zero tolerance policy but i want to make sure that you understand that chief hawthorne wasn't talking and will not be talking out the side of his neck because he's in the trenches. So again, Chief Hawthorne, I want fam to know that you are a man who be handling your business. So thanks again for handling your business the right way. Well, hey, I, I, I appreciate that. And, and uh, you know, uh, like I said, I've been in this uh, profession for a very long time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, rewarding at times, and then sometimes it's very challenging. Uh, but, you know, you said something, you know, key is that, you know, um, or at least I believe anyway, uh, that you alluded to, uh, if, you know, if, if God has been good to you, which is in, he's been very good to me, you know, and has allowed me to ascend and go up the ranks, you know, you have to be a good steward of the position that you're in. And so by doing that, you know, you have to make sure that you're, you're taking care of the community, protecting the community, and, and, and you want to be an administrator who is perceived as being fair. Right. And then, you know, you have the obligation, I think, uh, if God has put you in that position, we have an obligation to make sure that we're taking care of, of not only our community, but all communities. But, you know, being specifically sensitive to the issues uh, as they affect minority kids. Yes, and that's important. And I'm glad you made that clear because I want fam to know that equity is equity for all, all of us. Because without all of Absolutely. us working, yes, without all of us working together, we are going to come apart. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, Chief Hawthorne, why don't you tell uh, fam out there and, and those who are not in the family? What is this school to prison pipeline that we've been hearing about? What is it? Well, you know, in, in a nutshell, I guess in layman's terms, you know, um, there was some recognition that uh, 
black and brown children were being disproportionately uh, impacted and put in the system for very minor infractions, uh, such as disruption of classroom. Sometimes fighting, you know, fighting occurs at every school campus. And some minor offenses like that, uh, uh, to my surprise, were actual criminal offenses, Class C misdemeanors. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what was happening was that um, um, it was recognized that police officers around the state of Texas anyway, and it was a national issue, but Mm -hmm. as it related specifically to Texas, were disproportionately uh, putting kids uh, into the system through these uh, citations that were being written. Okay. For things that uh, normally would be handled or should be handled, you know, by teachers in a classroom. Okay. And so, um, um, you know, there was some recognition that that needed to be fixed. Okay. And so, um, uh, you know, the the state of Texas, uh, several years ago, um, you know, through the leadership of of several people uh, down in Austin, um, got wise to that and decided they would take away the punishment ability for police officers to write citations for minor infractions such as fighting in public, fighting period, classroom disruption, minor offenses like that Mm -hmm. are now considered school offenses in the state of Texas. And so if you're a juvenile and you commit one of these school offenses, um, police officers don't have the authority anymore to issue citations that uh, take action on those matters, though all of those kinds of things are handled administratively like they should be. Uh, back when I was in school, and you know, that was many, many, many years ago when we rode horses to school, right? Back, <laughs> you know, You're not that old, brother. <laughs> but back when I was in school, you know, we didn't have police officers on campuses, and police officers weren't called to intervene in things that just happen in normal kids' lives, you know? Yeah. And so uh, uh, I just think it, it is appropriate uh, that uh, police are removed, you know, from those types of situations and those types of situations are handled administratively, you know, uh, the, with the recognition that maybe there needs to be better classroom management, better training with teachers and classroom management on how to handle certain situations and then uh, when they do spiral mm-hmm. up and it, it, it involves uh, a referral uh, to the office, that's all it is. It's just a referral to the office. And now, you mentioned spiral. What, what, not to cut yes. you off, but what, what, what do you mean by a spiral? Well, when things get out of control in a classroom, let's say two kids are arguing in a classroom, or a kid won't be quiet mm-hmm. in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Like I was actually called. Uh, when I was a school resource officer, I was actually called to a classroom because a kid would not be quiet. He kept disrupting the classroom. The teacher couldn't teach, and so she called and asked that the police come and take care of that. Mm-hmm. So I went down as part of my duty and responsibility, pulled the kid out of the classroom and wrote him a citation for disruption of classroom. And uh, that was legal at that time. That mm-hmm. was legal, lawful, and was allowed. Uh, by the state mm-hmm. but obviously you know common sense would dictate that the police should not be involved in a classroom management right. situation right that has to be handled by a teacher or if a teacher can't handle it then handle it call it administrator yeah but those kinds of t- situations i mean that's just just should not be a police officer should not be called in to handle 
what I would say would be basic classroom management issues. Now, where do you, now Chief Hawthorne, where do you think things got off the rails? Uh, because we talked about the prevalence of it, which was one of the questions that I want to address, you know, and uh, speak about, and so my listeners can understand uh, the 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 depth that this 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 policy, this this program, if you want to call it that, uh, the school to prison pipeline. Where did it go off the rails? Where 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 schools just like we need we need police officers in here to to take care of. Uh, this kid who was being disruptive. I can't teach my class. Yeah, you know, um, and that's a, a really great question. I, I think I was a school resource officer back in the very early 90s, you know, mm-hmm. 1990, 91 through 94. And the mindset of officers going into that, uh, going on to school campuses, we were really there to teach classes and do educational Okay. Okay. We didn't really take enforcement action on very many types of things. There were there were times when we were called to take enforcement action, but that didn't happen a whole lot. Uh, and then there was, seemed to be a shift, okay, an evolution in that process. Uh, and I would say probably around the late nineties, okay. where you saw police go from a uh, officer friendly mindset, you know, in the classroom, mm-hmm. teaching kids uh, the scientific method, teaching them youth in the law, teaching them their rights within the law. You saw uh, officers spending more time taking enforcement action type activities and less and less time in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So there was a shift in what police officers' role was, there was a shift in what they were there to do. And as a result, uh, you had officers more involved in minor classroom disruption activities, or uh, even if there was a fight on campus. When I was in school, mm-hmm. there was a fight on the campus. The principal handled it. The yeah. assistant principals handled it. Yeah. You know, and it, and if you were an athlete, you certainly didn't want to go have the coach handle it. Right. Oh. <laughs> coaches would handle lunch. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so somewhere that changed, and they, you know. There was the mindset that the police have to be involved in all of those types of situations. And there was an insistence uh, from some administrators that citations be written, mm-hmm. that there'll be a heavy punishment, you know, and that um, um, and I'm a firm believer. And I think others follow this mindset as well is that, you know, you can't arrest your way out of crime. That's true. It's just not possible. That's true. You know, and so we had to be a little smarter in how we approached uh, crime and then really look at what the impact really was when we're writing citations to these kids for fighting or writing a citation for disrupting a classroom. We're actually putting them into the criminal system. Mm -hmm. We're putting them into the system at that point. And so there's a court process, there's a judicial process, and then there's a whole psychology around uh, you know, labeling a kid as a criminal. Now, let me ask you this: You, you talked about the the the, th- the three steps. You got the citation, and then you you go before a judge, and then the judge will impose, I would assume, some type of punishment. Uh, so, that, so at that time, the the citations had real teeth. They they had serious consequences. They they could have serious consequences. A lot of times, those tickets would end up in a teen court. Uh, sometimes they wouldn't end up in teen court, but regardless of where they ended up, mm-hmm. this kid is now in the system. 
he's a part of the criminal justice system just by the fact that he's been issued a citation. And the citation, there has to be a disposition of, with that citation. And so now we've labeled that child mm-hmm. as a criminal. Yeah, He's participating in criminal activity because now he's into the criminal justice system, he's in the police system. He's part of the uh, process where there has to be some adjudication with that citation. Right. And uh, if he's not in the system, he's just it's just being handled administratively. It's just an administrative process that the school is handling. Now, We're going to send him home for a day and then he'll be back. Yeah. You know, but the police are not involved in his life. He's not uh, going to a court process and. Interestingly, uh, the state recognized, and when you looked at the numbers, you know, it was overwhelmingly happening to kids that were black and brown. Right. And when I did my own analysis of that situation, when we looked at what was happening in the city of Arlington and some of those schools, I mean, it was just a reflection of what you saw on a national level. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, it just mirrored statistically the same types of uh, things that we've seen on a national level. And so, you know, that, 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 that just needs to be a different way, a different process. Uh, you know, just, there's just another way to help kids right. than calling the police on. Because that's basically what you were doing. It's the kids acting up in class, are doing kid things, and now we're sticking the cops on them. And that's just not the way that we should be handling kids. Because the kids that were being impacted the most were the black and brown kids. Now, the kids you, who were not black and brown were not impacted that way. Now, why why is that? Why why do you think that black and brown children were impacted more than uh, non-minority children? Well, I mean, you know, simplistically, I mean, it was because that's who the kids, that's who the teachers were calling the police to intervene on. Mm-hmm. In a, in, a, in a real sim- simplistic way, but you know, uh, 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 school systems, school campuses uh, are just a microcosm of society. And when we look at uh, society, and you looked at uh, who were the police being called on in your city, <laughs> you know, you know, you'd be interested to see the demographics of, of uh, uh, in some situations, you know, not all, but in some situations, those demographics would be interesting as well. You know, you know and that was, a, that, that was a whole nother conversation about, you know, where we target resources, what communities we, we uh, uh, send resources, and what communities were not seeing the same type of uh, enforcement activities. And so, you know, it just, like I said, it's a microcosm of society. And so uh, you saw that play out not only in cities and communities, but you you also saw that play out in schools as well. I came across a study that was reported on in 2011 by the Council of State Governments Justice System and the Public Policy Research Institute, which is located at Texas A&M. And that report is entitled breaking school rules breaking the schools rules rather a statewide a statewide study of how school discipline relates to student success and juvenile justice involvement so based on what you were saying chief hawthorne this is what and you you basically hit it right on the nail now i've stopped here chief uh hawthorne uh, to say this 
to the folks out there who were saying, well, that was 11 years ago. Then tell that child who was 11 years old then after hearing what I'm about to tell you. The study reported in part nearly 6 in 10 public school students in the study, which looked at schools in Texas, were suspended or expelled at least once between their 7th and 8th grade years. African-American students and those with educational disabilities were disproportionately, disproportionately more likely to be removed from the classroom for disciplinary reasons, and students expelled or suspended had a significantly higher likelihood of being involved in the juvenile justice system. Chief Hawthorne, you hit it right on the nail. This study mirrors what you just said. Yeah. Your thoughts? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, it, it's, that's not surprising because it's just what we saw. Yeah. And, when you, and like you said, statistically, um, uh, you know, you, you just said it, you know, it, it bears out, you know, the argument that I, that I was just making, you know. And, I, you know, I, I would even go just a step further. Okay. Um, to even say, you know, we, we had to really think about how we approached this whole issue. Uh, because interestingly, if I were to ask you to close your eyes mm -hmm. and, and I would ask you to describe a burglar, describe a car thief, mm -hmm. when we ask people to do that, interestingly, when people described what a criminal was, or what a criminal looked like, oftentimes, many times, too many times, that description turned out to be a person of color yeah. in their mind. Yeah. And so, you know, I say that to say it's a, it's, it's a societal issue as well. Yeah. You know, and we have to deal with this issue uh, from a society standpoint, you know, for it to be a trickle down, in my opinion, yeah. before it to be a trickle down and you see uh, change in other areas, because from a societal standpoint, I mean, we just have to change the way that we look at each other. Yeah. We have to change the way who, what we think is the, who or what is the face of crime. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, and that's a big ask, and that's not that's a big shift that you know, that's going to take many years to change. You know, some of those things, but I think the only way that we do change those kind of things is to have honest, open dialogue and not be afraid to. Uh, you know, tell the truth about certain issues and certain things, and then we move past it. You know, some of the conversation is not as easy to have as other conversations, yeah. but we have to have those conversations. We have to have that honest dialogue, and we have to see, the, see it from the perspective of everybody. You know, it can't be just my perspective, but it has to be, you have to take into account and take into consideration other people's perspective and, and uh, truly value that perspective and truly value what they bring to the conversation as well in order to make substantive change so what I, what I what I what I believe I'm hearing you say is school is a microcosm of society in general absolutely you know and 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 uh, you know we, we we take this conversation you know in all a whole lot of different areas I mean teachers are part of the community yes and teachers bring those biases and they bring all of those things 
that baggage that they have uh, uh, with them yeah. into the classrooms. Yeah. Now I'm at schools, I'm, I work in a school district and I can tell you, you know, there are, are, are teachers, I would say the, the majority of the teachers are there, are there to do a good job. They, they care greatly yes. about the kids yes. and, and I see phenomenal stuff that's being done, you know, by those teachers as they, um, teach those kids and that's know? why i was careful and, not to generalize uh, yeah you know yeah. you don't want to so i don't want to you know make it sound like you know that you know the teachers in general uh, uh ill-equipped to deal with people of color because it's just not true that's right but, but it is true that they bring their personal experiences and, and they bring their life experiences with them into that classroom yeah and there have been times too many times mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where those experiences uh, have negative uh, outcomes for people of, of, of color. It's not to point a finger and say that people are bad or this person is bad or this group of people are bad or anything like that. That's, that's if, if, if people hear what I'm saying and they walk away thinking that, then they're missing the point. Exactly. The point I'm making is that we have to have honest dialogue about the issues that are out there and not be afraid to confront some of those issues because everybody that's white is not evil. Everybody black is not evil. Right. You know, you know, it's, that's just, that's just crazy. And if we keep it at 100, if we keep it at 100, Chief Hawthorne, people bring their personal biases to their job. I mean, even, even at the fast food restaurant, somebody may come up, you know, uh, for instance, there's, there's a perception where black people don't tip. So we may right. not we may not get the service that we rightly deserve because I'm not going. Waiter may say I'm I'm not going to spend my time uh, waiting on them do the bare minimum because I know I'm not going to get a tip. Well, that's just not true. But they brought their own personal bias to their job. So you're absolutely right. No matter what profession. Right. Yeah, no matter what profession it is, you know, because we struggle with that as a society. Yeah. So if we're struggling with that as a society, you know, it's um. um I think naive to think that we wouldn't struggle with those same type of issues in our work in our workplaces. Right. And the way that we get past that is just to have honest conversation with each other. Yeah. And talk about and, and you know, as a person of color, I have to respect the perspective and views of people who are not of color. Yeah. You know, you know, so it's not one way. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have to expect. You know, you have to uh, respect the experiences of everybody. And I was telling somebody this the other day. I was on another program, and I told them there are people, there are white people, people of non-color who were just as much invested in equal rights and civil rights and progressing those issues on behalf of people that look like me. You know, just like people who did look like me. And a lot of them so, died. A lot of them died yeah, in the struggle. So you, so you have to, you know, you have to respect that and understand that too, you know. And so, you know, this issue uh, of equality that we all are trying to uh, deal with, you know, um, you know, there are other people who don't look like us who embrace these same ideas and want to progress and want to move issues forward as well. And so, you know, we have to, but the only way we're going to do that is just to have honest dialogue and honest conversation. And so... You know, I, I was saying all of that to say, if it's happening in society, it certainly happens within the school district. Right. And, you know, so we have to put things in place that are going to minimize those types of things from occurring.
Now, what do you what do you what do you think? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 not to cut you off. What do you because you mentioned something I wanted to, to to catch you before you went on. What do you think? would be something that would need or should be put in place because you mentioned things put in place to make the the schools not look at our babies with a a a, a bias what, what what kind of things that you think need to be put put in place well i think i think we said it uh earlier when we talked about uh the state taking away the ability for police officers to write tickets mm-hmm. issue citations or criminalize certain offenses, you know, and I think that's a recognition and it goes a long way with um, removing kids uh, and putting them in the criminal justice system, in the juvenile system, who probably shouldn't be there because they're doing things that kids do, which is get into scuffles, you know, they have arguments, they skip class from time to time. Uh, they talk too much in class, you know, teach has to, you know, get on them to, you know, get them to quiet down. Mm-hmm. Those are all kinds of things that, uh, uh, the police should not be involved in. Those are classroom management issues and they need to stay in the classroom. So what about, so, so what I'm hearing is, cause I've, I've read about, and you mentioned this, uh, this happened to state, uh, not statewide, but the national issue and Texas did some things to, to, to curve. Uh, the, the children getting placed in the juvenile justice system at such a young age. Is there such thing as a zero tolerance policy in your school district or in the state of Texas that you know? No, I mean, you know, and that would all be um, something that would be, um, I guess, driven by um, a that would all be inter- uh, internal policy. You okay. know what I'm saying? You know, uh, a police department or specific operation would go into what they would consider zero tolerance for a specific objective or something that they were doing for a, spe- a short time period. Now, why don't you explain uh, what zero tolerance is so my listeners would know what we're talking about? Well, zero tolerance means... In the school. You know, just, just, yeah, just that. I mean, uh, there's zero... There's no discretion if you're... On, on matters of, of, of criminal issues. So if I saw a fight, I saw anything that, that would be considered a, a, a crime, there would be no discretion on the officer's part to deal with that. There would just be maximum enforcement. We still respond to fights. We uh-huh. still respond to um, disruptive behavior and things of that nature. But But by law, we can't issue a citation or take anybody into custody or do anything because those are school considered school offenses Mm -hmm. and uh we don't have the authority to take police action on those any any longer because the state took those that authority away from police okay so when the police are called hey there's a fight in the school they show up they're just supposed to quell the fight and basically okay that's it okay Mm -hmm. and then when they don't do that that's when I, i i believe things tend to escalate with the parents and the school district and, and school officials? Yeah, we'll still quell the, the fight. We'll still restore order to the campus, uh, to that classroom or hallway, wherever it is, you know. But, you know, we don't take any further action at that point. Once once we've restored order, we completely turn that over to the school administration and they handle it from there. We're just there to maintain 
the peace and make sure that it's not a disruptive you know situation now let me ask your opinion on this and 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 you can say Alan, you know, that's, I, I don't know. I'm not going to answer that because uh, you may not have no personal experience. But if you don't have personal experience or observation, I just want your general opinion <laughs> of, of this question. So I, we've, been, we've been seeing a lot of our children, like children, like babies, like second or third graders, being escorted in handcuffs and put into the back of the police car. It, it's happened in, in other states. I was... I meant to to do a Google search and see if, if that happened here in some school districts. And I know you you know you, you can only speak of your school district, and, but what is your general opinion of, of of that? You know, I can't really think of a situation where that should ever happen. Okay. <laughs> I that young, being placed in handcuffs. Yeah. I mean, I I just I, I now number one, um, if you're under the age of ten you can't be held criminally responsible for anything anyway. Right. Juvenile by law is is uh, defined as a child who's between the ages of 10 and 16. Mm-hmm. So if you're seven years old and you can't even be held criminally responsible for anything, then I don't know why you would have handcuffs or a police officer would put handcuffs on a child, you know, um, in that type of situation or scenario. Now you've seen it on the news um, too, right? I mean, it's, it's I have. yeah, I absolutely have, and, and I haven't agreed with it when I've seen it. <laughs> I haven't, haven't, didn't think that was necessary, you know. And maybe you know somebody can think of a scenario that it would make sense, you know. But off the bat, you know, I just can't think of a scenario where that should happen. If you can't control a seven-year-old or a four-year-old, yeah, I, you don't need to be in that profession. That's just my opinion. <laughs> well, that's my opinion, too. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the wrong job. You're in the wrong job, yeah. You can handle a four-year-old, and we got to put cuffs on. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, yeah, you probably need to be in another field. So let me ask you this. Now, uh, discretion. Does the police, uh-huh. op- they get they get called like this, it, it, and they look at the school officials. This is a seven-year-old seven, seven child. Do they have the discretion to, to tell a school uh, official, I'm not taking this child down. I'm not putting this child in handcuffs. I'm not removing this child from the school. Do they have that discretion? Yeah, police officers always have that discretion. We have that discretion uh, in just in, in every instance, every situation that we walk into. You know, there's a high expectation. The higher the offense, you mm-hmm. know, we talk about felonies, there's a high expectation that officers will take enforcement action, will make an arrest. And then on issues that are, are lower, like Class C misdemeanors, you know, shoplifting, you know, there's there's latitude and discretion, and there's not always the public expectation that an officer do something in that kind of a situation. You know, there is a public expectation that we do use our discretion. Yeah. So the lower the offense, the, the, the lower the expectation on the public, of us taking enforcement action and and wanting us to use our uh, discretionary options and then the higher the offense you know there's a, a greater public expectation that we do engage in police activity and make an arrest um you know and we really want to limit you know the discretion you know you don't want to yeah, I'm, I'm just you know being facetious and yeah. joking but you know you don't want to go to a murder and the officer exercising his discretion say well i'm not gonna make the arrest on this one yeah you know we, yeah. we all know there'll be a lot of public condemnation 
you know, on the officer's actions, you know, but. Guess that's they are with these babies you know, on TV. I, I've seen it one, it was a stretch, like every, every, it seemed like every week, maybe like every couple of weeks or every month. I've, I've seen three, I think last year, it may be more, but it's like in that, in that situation, there, there was public outcry. And, mm-hmm. and, and to me, we talked about implicit bias, you know, so mm-hmm. in situations, and I'm not calling it, I don't want to, uh, the officers who had done that and wind up on the six o'clock news, I'm not saying that they are racist or anything like that or prejudice. It, it it may go back to what we talked about earlier, implicit bias. It's like you 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 you're you you have a certain thought about how people are in general, and and everybody everybody stereotypes. And maybe you know, what you're saying, um, the the training that that you know of and that you conduct and make sure it happens. I think that will help a great deal in police officers and the schools exercising that discretion if they've been. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, we have to train people to recognize those implicit biases that we have, you know, and we, we, we take guys through implicit bias training to recognize those biases and recognize uh, that we all have them. It doesn't matter what color you are, we all have those biases. But in police work, um, those biases could get you hurt. Yeah. Because you, you, you would recognize somebody maybe as being friendly that you shouldn't. Yeah. You're thinking of as friendly, and somebody who you're thinking is a foe may actually be an ally. So those biases can really get you hurt, you know. And um, but a seven-year-old should never yeah. be looked upon as somebody threatening who's smart off at the teacher. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, and so you know, we just gotta, you know, uh, uh, get away. I think from. I mean, we. we we got to get away from the mindset that we want to criminalize everything. And mm-hmm. Criminalizing everything is the way to go, and that's going to fix the ills of society because it's not. Right. And uh, and so I think there was a recognition that uh, you know we can't call the barking dog or the police on every situation that occurs. And you know we, there's been a lot of talk about how the police are drawn in to a lot of situations, a lot of scenarios mm-hmm. that really the police should not be involved in at all. Yeah. And, and you know, I can make the argument that some of the school issues that we are called in or dragged into at times are issues that really the police should not be called into and that should be handled by uh, school administrators or teachers or even counselors, you know, on, on that campus, you know. Well, so, let's let me ask you this. So we, we've talked about the obvious ills of the the the, the lack of discretion or lack of training uh, from some school officials who may have implicit bias, and that's been suspension or it's been uh, expelled from school. In your experience as a school resource officer, now chief of an independent school district, what have you learned or seen or heard? of some of the unnoticeable ills that our children face resulting from being suspended or expelled just for simple things that we've been discussing, smarting off the teachers, uh, being disruptive, things that, that, that happens in, in, in all schools, no matter the socioeconomic uh, uh, level of the student or the neighborhood. Well, uh, you know, I think you have to recognize that kids are dealing with a whole lot of different things now that we didn't have to deal with. Okay, like what? A lot of these, yeah, a lot of these kids are going home. They are the parent. They are the person that's providing dinner. They are in charge. 
uh, and they have a lot of responsibility on them caring for other their other siblings. Yeah. Uh, you know, things that we didn't necessarily have to worry about too much when we went home because we had parents there with us, you know, for the most part. Yeah. And were helping us with those situations. But a lot of these kids are really dealing with adult issues at a very earlier age than we had to deal with. And a lot of times, um, um, you know, there's not food at home. Um, the only meals that they get are the meals that we provide them in school. And so there are a lot of scenarios and situations where we allow them to take food home yeah. so that they have something to eat. Yeah. You know, I know of a situation once I encountered where there was an elementary age child that we ran across who had been sleeping uh, behind a school. He was homeless, mm -hmm. didn't have any family, and was discovered. And uh, had been going to uh, that school for you know a few weeks and was actually living on the street. A child actually living on the street by himself and was sleeping behind. How old was this child? When, when when he was discovered, so these kids have a lot of. Um, How old was he? This this kid was about ten years old. Wow! Wow! So you know they dealing with a lot of, a lot of things you know, uh, uh, and there there's, there is a recognition by you know, most school districts that, you know, these kids are dealing with a lot of issues that, that they didn't deal with before. Yeah. And so, you know, you got a kid who's not paying attention in class because he's homeless. Yeah. Or because he didn't sleep the night before because he had to make sure that he, he uh, got his sister and his brother had their baths and they got fed. They did their homework. He yeah. was the one that was making sure those things were happening for them. And uh, and not being able to do things for himself because he's taking care of his siblings. You yeah. Know? So <clears throat> there's a recognition, you know, by the school districts, most of them that I've I've seen, that they know these kids are dealing with those types of issues uh, at home, and so you just have to deal with that scenario, that those types of scenarios a little differently. You have to deal with the kids a little differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, and how you approach, you know, them because then it's not the traditional family environment, home environment, you know, supportive network that they're coming from. Yeah. And so we have to change the, the school. We have to pivot. We have to pivot to address the needs that we recognize that we're dealing with now. So that's that's and, that's part of education, right? Because I know in the yeah. Bible it says, you know, um, you, you you have the first feed or address the person's need before you, they will actually open their minds and listen to what you got to say. I'm paraphrasing, but it's something along that line. Cause Jesus, you know, he fed, fed folks and then, you know, he, he spoke to them. And so with the school realizing, you know, what you just articulated, they need more resources and they are overworked. They're underappreciated and underpaid and they need oh, yeah. those resources you're talking about. Oh, yeah. And right now, you know, just, you know, you, you throw all that thing, everything that you just said, and then you throw COVID in the midst of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it is a tough, education is a tough uh, job right now. And uh, there's not enough recognition, in my opinion, of how tough a job that these men and women really have right now as they deal with trying to educate children. Yeah. Uh, with all the with all the other things that we talked about, and then you throw a pandemic on top of that, and then all the politicalness that goes 
on with with trying to manage a pandemic it's really really tough yeah. for these um people in the school and so uh you know these teachers ought to be commended the ones who are still there and taking on that challenge because they you know they're, they're dealing with a lot they're dealing with a whole lot and I, and i say again there's not enough recognition being given to them for the yeoman job that they they are doing mm-hmm. day in and day out but let me ask you, know, you this so i i think we made a lot of progress mm-hmm. in terms of dealing with the prison the pipeline you know issue mm-hmm. uh because we don't see as many cases uh falling into our hands the law enforcement hands because yeah. uh our hands are tied pretty mm-hmm. much you know by through uh, uh what the lawmakers uh you know did by uh designating certain offenses as school offenses and not allowing police to deal with those yeah you know while kids are at school so that was a good move let me that ask you this great move yeah so I, I don't want uh folks to take away something that i don't want them to take away <laughs> because we we mm-hmm. we've articulated you know what you've articulated i'll just listen <laughs> where you said <laughs> that you explained some of the things that may uh make a child or prompt a child to you know, be disruptive. They may be hungry. They, their their feet and their 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 their, their bathing. Their, their 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 brother and sister. They're the parent. I don't want people to walk away and say, "Well, that's the reason why," you know, black and brown children are being sent to the principal's office, expelled, suspended, or having law enforcement come in to to quell a situation. That's you know because. Kids in affluent neighborhoods, they have problems at home. They deal with certain. It's Absolutely. a different. So, once you expound Absolutely. on that, I don't want them to. I don't want people out there talking about that's the reason why our black babies are being disproportionately targeted. No, 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 no. That that the, the issues that I'm talking about affect every uh, everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, this those are not white black issues. Mm-hmm. Those are just issues that that I see are, that we're dealing with in a society period yeah you know and so uh the kid that i was just telling you about that was living behind the school that was not a black kid that was a white child okay so you know um you know and and that goes back to what i was saying earlier when we talk about these kind of issues you know when i say what is the face of crime and i and i and i talk about a kid who's homeless and he's you know Mentally, we go there thinking we have one thing in mind when, yeah. you know, the opposite is, is, is actually true. And so, um, and I have to so, say, yeah, no, this is not a, not a, uh, black or brown issue that I'm talking about. This is a kid's issue yeah. that I'm talking about. And, and, um, and I'm going to be frank. I'm going to always keep it 100 with my fam out there, my listeners. Mm-hmm. I, when you, when you describe that 10 year old child, my first assumption, my first thought, a little black child, a little black child. That was my first assumption, and I and I feel bad thinking that. But there are certain there are certain perceptions. Like everybody has their own stereotypes, right? If you, you hear about you know school mass school shooting, first thing that's going to come to your mind is a Caucasian child. You know you right. and, and 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 then right. or, yeah, and then what shocked the world about the 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 DC sniper that you had the FBI right. profilers, all the experts said, oh, it was a middle age you know, um, white right. man, and it turned out to be a brother and right. a teenage right. and a teenage kid with him. Right. So we all have, right. we all, even the, the professionals in law enforcement had that wrong. We all carry these 
stereotypes in our minds and we need to we do need to do a better job and and removing those but how how do you suggest that in law enforcement dealing with school children and discretion you know uh how do you other than the training that you provide your officers how else would would one get get that through the head where it's okay i've been trained but i i, I still see this kid as well, I, I think whether you whether you're black you're white you have to see that situation through the eyes of the other person okay and you know me being a black man you know um when i walk into that situation i'm dealing with that situation i gotta i have to try to see that through the perspective of the person that i'm dealing with yeah and so because if i want them to see my perspective i need to be able to see and try to understand their perspective as well you that's know, powerful it works both ways that's powerful that's true too yeah you know so we, we just have to you know um, it sounds kind of simplistic or you know and it's a lot easier said than done but we just have to respect each other yeah we have to respect each other as adults we have to respect each other as people and understand that we're all in this thing together yes you know? um, uh, and the only way we're really going to ever overcome it is to to come together and i got to respect you as being white brown black um you know, I have to respect your perspective and see it through your lens in order to uh, understand or to be able to talk to you in a manner that you perceive that I get. Yeah. You know, and that I'm addressing your issue or I'm seeing the issue through your eyes so that I'm helping. I have to be able to see it through your your lens, you know. And so uh, I'm just saying it works both ways. Yeah. So you're speaking about and, empathy. I'm sorry, go ahead. Are you speaking of empathy. That's what you're talking about, having empathy yeah, for that yeah. person. Yeah, you, you you really do. You know, you have to you have to uh, have some empathy, but I but I also think just you you have to respect that person mm -hmm. as as a human being. Yeah. And understand that they, you know, have life issues like everybody else. And maybe they don't see it the same way as you. Uh, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, we don't always have to see it the same way, but I have to understand their perspective and where they're coming from and respect that. Yeah. And they understand that I respect that. And, and I may not necessarily give them the answer that they want, but they need to be, they need to feel like that they were heard. Yeah. And when I say heard, you know, I listened and I, I heard them and I, there was understanding uh, of their perspective, you know, and then I make my decision. We make our decisions as educators and as law enforcement based on what the law says that we have to do. Yeah. But we treat everybody with fairness. We treat everybody with respect. They may not like the decision, but they walk away from that encounter feeling like that they were treated fairly and that they were heard. You know what you said? That's what you just said is, is, is a great place to, 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 to end this conversation because I believe if the school officials sit down with a child and truly listen, listen to that child and understand what's going on and with all the social social services programs out there get that child the help he or she needs and then once they are fed mentally right they've heard they've been heard and they're emotionally fed and fulfilled they wouldn't have the problem these school officials won't have the problem that they're dealing with now you said it right and you said it correct and you kept it 100 chief Hawthorne. if they only 
would take the time to listen, to hear the child. Just That's all they want. They're not getting it at home. You know, black or white or brown, they're not getting it at home. They want to be heard. Because, I listen, there's some affluent kids out there. You know, people think they got to squared away, but they come home to an empty house, too. Mom and dad ain't there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is not a, a black or white, you know, issue. I mean, this is an issue, again, I can't emphasize that enough. This is an issue that affects all kids. Yeah. And whether you're in uh, a predominantly black community or you're in a predominantly white community, you know, uh, they have the, the those two communities have their own issues that yeah. are unique to those communities. Exactly. You know, and they still uh, end up in the same place where we got a child that's, whose emotional needs are not being met. Yeah. Uh, who who who's who's being failed by the system because they're not being heard or they they're not being looked at the right way. Yeah. So, you know, it's absolutely uh, 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 everybody's issue, and it's not just. Uh, uh, just a black or brown issue. So, Chief Hawthorne, I want to thank you for your insight. It was great. Uh, I know fam as well as I got a lot out of it. It explained why our children are having so much difficulties in the school. It's not about, you know, their uh, disruptiveness or them being disruptive because they're just being disruptive. All children of all races behave the same way but the statistics don't lie the numbers don't lie our children do get targeted more so and it may be based on or probably is implicit bias but implicit bias is in every occupation so i want to thank you again for helping me flush that out because i couldn't have done it without your insight thank you i appreciate it thank you now fam let me leave you with these truths as underscored in an article by the National Education Association entitled, The School to Prison Pipeline, Time to Shut It Down, which states educators, and I quote, harbor negative assumptions about the ability, aspirations, and work ethic of these students, especially poor students of color, based on the assumption that they and their families do not value education, unquote. The National Education Association and the current institute are two of many respectable and credible organizations that have researched this topic and are striving to make schools and, as a result, life better for our babies. Fam, the school to prison pipeline is real, and that's keeping it 100 Keep this in mind the next time school officials are drafting policies aimed at keeping our young out of school over some bullshit. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, including, including the mind of a black child. And know that there are folks out there who are afraid of those minds and don't want them fully developed because... An uneducated mind is one that won't challenge the status quo. So let's ensure that our young folks' beautiful minds stay in school and out of prison. I'm reminded of something a dear friend of mine recently sent me. They didn't steal slaves. They stole scientists, doctors, architects, teachers, entrepreneurs, astronomers, 
fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, and made them slaves. Fam, if that doesn't stress upon you the importance and value of keeping our young in school and out of prison, then I don't know what will. One love.